Okay, well let's, let's our tradition stand and read John chapter 11. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words, and um, words that you said 2,000 years ago that still ring true for us today. And Lord, we... We ask by the end of this service that all of us come to an understanding of you the way Martha did, um, but even greater than her. Uh, and that we just ask the Lord that your spirit will speak to us now and uh, reveal any truths that may be new to us that we need to receive into our hearts and minds today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we were introduced to a family of three siblings, uh, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And we learned that they were from a little village by the name of Bethany, which we learned was two miles away from Jerusalem to the east. So about three clicks in Canadian terms. Um, but their home was unique, in, uh, and their relationship to Jesus was unique in a couple ways. First of all, their home was often a place for Jesus and the disciples to come to. Um, for like rest and for meals and probably time of fellowship and teaching. So it was kind of like maybe what the Rempel's house is for us, like where people come here on a regular basis and uh, come here for rest and recuperation and to have fellowship together. That's what their home was like for Jesus and the boys. But also they had a unique relationship and that it said before that Jesus loved them. So you know, Jesus has a general or a, a love for humanity, but in terms of a, his physical presence as a human being, he actually loved these, these people. And so he shared a very intimate and close relationship with them beyond what he would with most people in Israel at that time. We also learned though at some point that Lazarus' health went sideways and he got really sick, sick to the point of death. And the sisters were so worried about him that they had to send word to Jesus uh, about his condition. And by the time the messenger had come to Jesus, Lazarus had already died. And so Jesus knew that he could use the opportunity of Lazarus' death to do something that would bring glory to God and bring glory to himself, which is ultimately the resurrection of him from the dead. In order to do this, though, he had to return to Jerusalem, at least two miles away from Jerusalem, to Bethany. And if you remember, he had already left Jerusalem uh, not too long prior because he was going to get stoned. They were trying to kill him there. So, the reason, so he had to return back to hostile territory. And this worried the disciples. They said, we've just come from there. Why would you be crazy enough to go back there? Because you could lose your life if you return. And so Jesus puts them at ease and says, there's nothing to worry about. If we go back there, uh, I'm under God's timetable. We'll all, be, we'll all be protected. And besides this, I have to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
that was basically the, the summary of last week's message. So in verse 17, we pick up the story with Jesus now, leaving the Jordan area where he was, traveling the day's journey to Bethany, and we see him coming into Bethany now in verse 17. And when he arrived there, we learned that he had already been in the tomb dead for four days. Uh, also, we learned in verse 18 and 19 that uh, some of the Jews who had likely shown hostility to Jesus prior had showed up in Bethany for the funeral in order to mourn with the sisters. So a couple of things I want to deal with then in verses 17 through 19, and that is the four-day significance in the tomb. Now, last week, Laura asked the question in discussion, is there any significance to Lazarus being in the tomb for four days? I'm going to share with you a biblical within the text answer and an extra biblical um, uh, piece that's kind of neat uh, that you wouldn't know just from reading the, the scriptures here. So first, why would there be a four-day significance to him being in the tomb for four days? Why would John mention that? Well, you have to think about Egyptian burial methods and Jewish burial methods. Do you guys know what the Egyptians did with their dead? Yeah, embalm, embalm them? Yeah. And embalming them would prevent what? Decay. Decay, right. Okay. Jewish people didn't do that. Jewish people didn't mummify. They used ointments and spices and wrappings and they would, so that the odor of the deceased would, wouldn't be overpowering. Uh, you know, I used to do massage therapy and uh, sometimes people would come in not smelling the greatest and so I would take 8535 and put it under my nose on my lip. They had no idea that it was there, but that was just for me to make it through the hour treatment. <laughs> See, that wasn't in my notes. I just thought of that now. See, that's why, <laughs> that's why I used those chemicals. <laughs> but you can understand, like, the deceased, like, they had to use ointments and spices uh, for burial methods because they, they would have just rotted. And, um, and so, basically, everybody would have known that if he had been dead for four days, that his decomposition would have been dreadful, and the stench would have been dreadful. And verse 39 is powerful, because when Jesus tells them to remove the stone for Lazarus to come out, Martha says, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. In other words, if he was dead after one day, then there could be hearsay that maybe he was maybe dead, but maybe not. But once he's gone past four days now, he's fully in decay mode, and there's no question that when he's raised from the dead, it's an absolute miracle. So the four days within the text shows that he's dead. Like he's not, it's not a hearsay that, that uh, he was raised within an hour or two and it could be a fake, fake thing like we see like a, uh, maybe like a David Blaine magician show kind of stuff, right? So anyhow, so that's significant for that. But extra biblically, I wasn't going to mention this, but every commentary I read of the men that I trust, that, uh, that, I, that I get their opinions on scripture when I'm studying for you guys, they all said, brought this up. So I thought if all of these men brought it up, it must be of significance. But here's what's cool. The Jewish people apparently believed in some parts that after a person died, that the soul would hover around the body for three days, trying to re-enter the body. And if, they, if it did, then there'd be life again. But they believed that because decay would set in really badly by the fourth day, if the soul saw decay, it would stop leaving, it would stop trying to enter and depart from the body, thus rendering him impossible to ever be raised back to life again. So in other words, um, on the fourth day, uh, once it saw decomposition, then only death would be considered irreversible. 
So three days, death is still reversible if the soul can get in, but by the fourth day, it's irreversible. So if this is true, then four days takes on a huge significance uh, in this gospel message. And it must have been a true statement if all of these guys are highlighting that this is a possibility in Jewish thought. Now, Peter's coming here uh, in December to talk, talk with us again, and he's a Jewish expert, so this will be a fun thing to ask him, and um, we can confirm that, but just you know, think about that as well. So the table has been set now for Jesus to perform this amazing miracle um, of unbelievable proportions, and so he's arrived in Bethany. And before he can even get to Lazarus' house to see Martha and Mary, Martha intercepts him in verse 20. It says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. We don't know how Martha caught wind of Jesus' arrival. Uh, we're not told, but her actions, however, to take initiative to go find Jesus before he even had a chance to arrive, give us a more insight into her emotional state at the time. You see, Martha was heartbroken, just like you and I would be if we lost a loved one. And it had been four days since she had last sent the messenger to go see Jesus, to go, to go tell him that he was in trouble. So now, finally, after a four-day wait, as she's pondering in her mind, what will Jesus do? What will he say? How will he handle the situation? He finally shows up. So she would have been high anticipation, high emotions, waiting for him to be how he would respond to the situation. And uh, those of you who get anxious easy and... Uh, have a, like to have all your issues resolved right now in order to move forward in life, you could relate to Martha. You know, some of you can deal with emotional stress, you can put it off and just function through life. Martha wasn't like that. She, had to, she wanted the answers now, she wanted everything to be fixed now, and she was a go-getter. And so she takes initiative to find Jesus so she can finally get her mind put to rest. And she's desperate for Jesus to speak into her situation. <laughs> and tell him what's been probably plaguing her mind the entire time since, the, she, since Lazarus died. And we see what she says in verse 21 and 22. Uh, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Some people I've heard uh, who've spoken on this passage think that Martha's rebuking Jesus. In other words, she's getting mad at him and putting him in his place. So they would read the words in this way. Um, Jesus, uh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like that kind of tone. I would suggest that that's not what she's doing here. She's not blaming Jesus for anything. She's not rebuking him. I think this is a, a response of a mixture of grief and faith. Grief and faith. Here's what I think she's saying. She's coming to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, I'm so sad, Lord, but I trust you so much that if you had been here in this presence, I know this wouldn't have been the outcome. So it's not a rebuke, it's a, it's a plea of like, to like, uh, well, it's just a plea to him to understand her emotions in the situation and, and, and her trust of him. Then it's mixed with faith as well, because she says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So in other words, I don't know what you would have done, Jesus, if, if you, if, you know, or what you can do now for the situation, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. So please, do something. I'm asking for you to go to him and ask him something to, to, to solve the situation or whatever that would be. What's interesting, though, whatever she was hoping for, for Jesus to do, whatever it was, we know this, that her hopes did not include the possibility of 
resurrecting her brother back from the dead at that time. So she says, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She, she doesn't believe that part of what God could give him was her brother back from the dead. How do we know this? There's two, 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 two reasons we know this. First of all, based on the conversation we're going to pick up in verses 24 to 27, we're going to see that she didn't expect a possibility of a present resurrection, which we're going to get into. But verse 39 is key again. If she believed in the present resurrection, when Jesus said, remove the stone away, she wouldn't say this, but there's going to be a stench from the grave. Don't do it. If she believed in resurrection, she said, please open it, get it open now, because I want to see my brother again. Right? So that, that's the, within the text, we can see that there was no belief that Jesus could presently resurrect her brother. That's interesting for me, because Martha must have known and witnessed even, Jesus cure leprosy. Stop hemorrhaging and bleeding women. She, she had to have known about the bread being created out of thin air and fish in, in, near the Sea of Galilee. She must have heard that he walked on water. <laughs> I mean, she would have been privy to uh, thousands of stories about what Jesus did that day. Uh, of over like a two and a half year ministry because that's how long it's been approximately since this, this story happened. I mean, she's got all this knowledge and, and, and probably witnessed all these miracles. But for whatever reason, the, the buck stopped there. They, she didn't believe in the present ability for him to resurrect. And so Jesus, knowing this, had to turn her thoughts towards the, his ability to do so now. And this is why he says what he did in verse 23 and 24. He said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, when Jesus said to Martha, Your brother will rise again, she, of course, did not realize what he meant. Um, she had no clue of what Jesus was planning to do, that she was, he was going to raise Lazarus for the glory of God and for himself. So her expectation, though, was Lazarus was going to be raised in the future, in the last days at the end of the age, but not later that day. So you can see this in her, in her response to him. But it is noteworthy to say this, that Martha's theology included a belief in a future resurrection. It's not that she didn't believe in resurrection, she believed in a future resurrection that's going to happen in the last days. Now how does she come to understand this? But we don't know for sure, but remember, Martha is Jewish, and the Old Testament scriptures, which she would have been familiar with, spoke of resurrection. Now, resurrection, by the way, if you don't know this, resurrection means the physical unification of the body to the spirit, like the physical rising of the flesh. It's not like a spiritual state, it's a physicality. Resurrection means the, the dead body gains a new life and is united to the soul, okay? So um, don't think of resurrection being only spiritual. It's, it's, it's a physical uh, rising of the body. But look at these passages that she may have been familiar with in the Old Testament. Uh, Job 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, so like the last days, it would be the last days according to Martha, he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. And those of you who've been doing the chronological reading know all about Job 
and his dismay. And he's saying, you know, even though my skin, my body's going to be destroyed, I know that this same body will one day see God. I believe that I will be resurrected even if I die. Daniel 12, 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So again, Daniel understands that you'll be sleeping in the dust of the earth, which is a reference to death. And one day those bodies will arise and come out of the earth and receive a physicality, a new body. Likely, she knew about these. If you ever want to do an amazing read, uh, just take Ezekiel chapter 37. It is packed with the resurrection. I mean, she probably knew that. Well, she would have known that one too. Maybe that was her go-to verse. But Ezekiel 37, the whole chapter is worth her read. And uh, it's, it speaks of resurrection in great detail for the nation of Israel. So Martha probably got it from there. But also, Martha has heard, had, had, um, could have heard Jesus speak of resurrection on more than one occasion. Remember, she sat under his teachings. He came to his house on a regular basis. They were friends of the disciples. Likely she may have heard that. If you just flip with me to John 6, 39 and 40. 6, 39, 40. The, the, uh, he's walked on water. He's, uh, he's fed the, the people with uh, bread. And it, then they come to him and they want him to do more for, him, for them. And then he starts speaking in spiritual terms instead of physical terms. Because they wanted more bread and water. And he... And different things like that. And he, and he was uh, saying, no, I can give you more than just physical. I can give you spiritual uh, needs as well. But in 3940, he says this to them. Uh, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus has uh, told the disciples that he's going to resurrect. He's going to be part of the resurrection uh, in the future. Um, so likely she's heard Jesus speak in these terms too. But again, the problem was not Martha's belief in resurrection or even in Jesus' Jesus's role in it. Her problem was that she restricted his ability to resurrect to a, a future time. He could only resurrect in the last days. It was future related, not a present reality. And that's key to understanding this text. It wasn't a present reality. So Jesus has to give her a new and startling revelation about his power to resurrect now. And we pick that up in 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus' declaration to Martha that he was the resurrection and life was not simply saying to Martha that resurrection and life was something he could offer people as God's agent. It's not something he would grant people as the Messiah. He was saying in and of himself was resurrection and life. It was a declaration that he was the he is the source of, re of resurrection. He is the source of eternal life. So it's not a simply a gift. He is the very essence of those two things. As a commentator I, I read, and he did a good job of um, summarizing this, he said, the future rule of God for which Martha hoped with all its blessings for humanity was vested in Jesus. 
And this is what Jesus is saying. I, 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 you, you expect me to do these things, but I am these things. <laughs> and all it took to receive the promised blessings of resurrection and eternal life was a belief in him. And that's why he says, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. I want to talk to you about that phrase because it seems a bit paradoxical. Like, listen to the words again. How can someone live even if he dies? And how can someone um, live and believe in him and never die? Like, it doesn't, how can you live and die at the same time? Well, again, a lot of you will understand this, but it's worth going through. Again, um, you know, Jesus always talks about life and death on two possible fronts. There's a physical life and death, and there's a spiritual life and death. So each person is made up of a body and soul. So it's possible to have life in the body, but death in the soul. Or vice versa. It's possible to have death in the body, but uh, life in the... Or did I say that already? No, death in the body, but life in the soul. So you can be physically alive now, but spiritually dead. Or you you can be physically dead now and spiritually alive. Or you can be both. You can, when you die physically, you can also die spiritually. And when you live spiritually, you can also live physically, right? So there's, there's this soul-body aspect where you, there's a division between your soul and your body. So that's why in our world, like, uh, and I just experienced this this week in the gym in my, some of my evangelism, I was discussing this idea that although we're alive now, God sees us as spiritually dead unless we put our trust in Christ. And this person was on me saying, you're like basically a big loser for believing that because we are spiritually alive from birth. So we had, I had this like huge conversation trying to convince them that that's not what Jesus teaches. Okay? So what Jesus is saying here is this paradox of life and death has to do with how you understand spiritual life and physical life or spiritual death and physical death. So hopefully... That clarifies it. If I haven't made a lot of sense, I'll, we, can, we can do it again in dialogue and we can hash this up. Or we can ask Kevin. <coughs> he can fix it for me. So. But here's the key. Um, for the believer, Jesus was saying this, for the believer, although this, uh, they will experience death in the physical sense, he's saying, if you believe in me, you will not die in the fuller sense. You will not die in the fuller sense, which is a spiritual life. It was essential for Martha to grasp and understand what Jesus was teaching because of what he was about to do. See, before her eyes, he was going to demonstrate through the raising of her brother that everything he'd just been talking about was true. If he's going to say, I am the resurrection, I am the life, that, that essence is in me, she proves that when he raises him because she's expecting the future last days and he's going to do it now. He's going to do it in the present. So he's going to buy, but she'll have to, and then watching her brother raised from the dead, go back to that conversation and go, oh my goodness, I understand exactly what he means. That he's got power in and of himself to do this. He's not restricted by any time barrier. He doesn't have to wait for the last days. He doesn't have to wait to the future when it's in God's timing. He can do it now because he is the resurrection and is the life. And that's after this, then he, he, she understands that he's not limited. <laughs> Like she had put a limitation on him. So Jesus looks at her and says, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? In verse 27, her response is this. Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. I love her answer because it goes beyond a a simple yes. She reveals more of her theology. And um, 
you know, we learn that she, not only she believes in a future resurrection, but she believes who Jesus is in his true identity. And she points out three things. You are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. So let's finish with looking at these three aspects of Christ's identity. Here's what Martha believed. Um, for her to believe he was the Christ was to believe he was the King of Israel. For her to believe he was the Christ meant he, she, he was the Messiah of the Jewish hope and expectation. Now granted, she didn't fully understand all the implications of what that meant. Because remember, if you're a Jew back then, to be the Christ is you're not going to suffer. You, you don't have a suffering Messiah as a Christ back then. You have a political ruler who's going to take the kingship of Israel and eliminate Rome from, from its existence. There are also spiritual benefits too. There will be resurrection from the dead in those days. Um, so it wasn't just physical. There was a spiritual component. But ultimately, Israel is restored. And it's, it's, a, it's a nation in which every other nation wants to come to and be part of the community of God. Or they may not want to, but if they're going to accept God, they have to become Israelites again. <laughs> so, uh, so she doesn't understand the suffering Messiah. She doesn't understand he has to die for the sins of the world. Uh, she doesn't understand it's uh, not a physical kingdom at that moment. She doesn't understand that the Gentiles are going to be included in salvation. She doesn't understand any of these things like we do. But here's the key. All she knew about the Christ, she embraced it. For whatever revelation she had, she embraced it. And to believe he's the Christ, would have, for some people back then, it came at huge costs. To declare him to be the Christ came at huge costs. Remember John chapter 9? The blind man was healed. And if he, the Pharisee said, if you confess Jesus as the Christ, you're kicked out of this Jewish synagogue. Which means you're kicked out of all life as, like all, uh, uh, life as a Jew. Like you're, you're excommunicated from the way the social and cultural uh, norms function. It was, a, it was like a, to isolate yourself from that culture. Uh, so again, confessing him to be the Christ would come at huge costs at times. But she says, no, I believe you are the Christ. Second, she believed he was the Son of God. Uh, Martha recognized that Jesus shared a unique relationship with the Father. Um, there was a closeness in that relationship. And there was an intimacy shared that no one else had. I mean, he was more than, he, she recognized him as having more than just earthly origin. Right? If you're the son of God, you have more than just earthly origin. You have a heavenly origin. So that means when Jesus spoke, um, you know, she recognized that he was, she was speaking on behalf of the Father because of that unique relationship. But thirdly, she, there was a belief that he was the one to come into this world. Now what does that mean? In Jewish thought, it meant that the, he was their long-awaited deliverer. To believe that he was the one to come in the world was to believe that he was the deliverer for Israel and the Messiah again. A great verse to confirm that is chapter 6, 14. Um, uh, it says there, When the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So again, when they saw Jesus perform the, the signs of the fish and the bread, their first thing was, Man, he is the guy that was spoken about in Deuteronomy, who was to come into the world. In other words, he's the guy who's going to liberate Israel. He's going to deliver Israel. And then it says, after that, they wanted to make him king by force. So to, to believe he was the one to come in the world was to believe he was along the way to deliver their Messiah. And he was going to, as God's agent, deliver Israel. So she believed all these things. I want to leave the, 
I'll leave you with this thought, and this is uh, like a for free, and uh, it's not part of my notes. <laughs> this is off the cuff, Kevin. But I want to help you understand something again, to put your mind in the Jewish mindset, so instead of the Okotokian mindset, or the, as a New Testament Christian. And I want to talk to you about the last days comment by Martha. The last days. And the resurrection. So let me ask you guys and just tell me what you know. When I, when, I, when I speak about last days or end times or the end of the age and resurrection, what do you think of as a New Testament Christian about the events and the timing of events? So if I were to ask you, when do you think we're going to be resurrected, what would you say? When, do we, when does the New Testament promise that we'll be resurrected as believers? When Christ returns. Yeah, when Christ returns. Okay? What would be another phrase that we use all the time for the re return of Christ? Second coming. Second coming. Okay. Second coming is perfect. Why do we call it the second coming? Because Jesus, we know, came to earth the first time 2,000 years ago. So the last days for us, the end of the age, is the second coming. Let me ask you this. If you're Martha, are you thinking second coming? What are you thinking? First, right now. Yeah. right now. That's important because now you have to ask yourself, when do you think she thinks the resurrection is going to happen? At the first coming of Jesus. Right? She's not, there's no New Testament. There's no Paul. There's no teaching on this. When you're Jewish, you're reading the Old Testament and everything about Jesus is about the coming of Jesus to restore Israel. You're thinking now, in my era. So here's what, they believe, here's what Martha thinks. I'm, and again, Peter will be great to talk to you about this. But um, when she's thinking in these mindsets, don't put yourself in her head uh, to the same degree in terms of events. It doesn't look like that. As a Jew, she believes this, um, that Jesus will take the kingship take rule of Israel, have there'll be spiritual and physical blessings, but at some point in that reign, there'll be a resurrection of the dead who believed in God from the past into that kingdom in Israel at that moment. They believe in the physical resurrection. Ezekiel 37 talks about rising up dry bones, talks about the nation of Israel being physically resurrected, and to them that was the end of the age, that's the end of the world. There's, phys there's physical and spiritual blessings and there'll be resurrected people. Now did you know, this is never talked about, when Jesus, when Jesus was, was crucified and resurrected on the third day, did you know people were resurrected from the grave that day? There were people walking, they were resurrected from the grave at Jesus' crucifixion and raised to life on that day. Go check it out in, in, the, in Matthew. I think it's in Matthew, or you'll see it, the people resurrected out of the grave on the day of his resurrection. So she's thinking, in other words, when Jesus is first coming and Israel is his Messiah, the last days for her are like right there. They're right there. When we think of Jesus coming, we're thinking like, well, maybe not now because of the era we live in, but, you know, like it's far removed from us in terms of the end times. So again, there's a, she wasn't thinking, I'm going to see Lazarus in 2,000 years. She's thinking, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he takes platform, it's probably only going to be years before Lazarus is resurrected in her mindset. Okay? So it's just really just, it's so important to think like a Jew before you think like an Albertan. Okay? Because you just, you, you will interject your belief systems into hers, and it won't work. 
So our similarities are that we believe in a future bodily resurrection. We believe in, the, in Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world. Those are all the same. But our definitions of those are different based on the revelations that we have from Scripture. So we actually know more about Jesus than she did. Not his physical, like, you know, mannerisms and everything else, but, and maybe even his, his teachings, but just um, in terms of the spiritual implications of who he was and who he is. All right, let's do some lessons now. And these lessons are, uh, I guess we could call straightforward. You might go, well, I'm not learning, it's not rocket science to me. Um, but sometimes the basics of Christianity are, are, are the most important things in, in terms of understanding. So this will be very basic lessons, but they're, they're truths nonetheless. And they, they're not widely accepted anyhow in, in this world, because we live in a culture with a melting pot of religious beliefs. So this, these are true for the Christian faith. And again, we'll go through them now. So lesson number one, the Christian faith teaches a future bodily resurrection after death. Um, again, um, uh, and if you're an atheist, you believe in no afterlife. Okay, if you're a Christian, you believe in an afterlife. If you're an atheist, you believe in no return to earth. If you're a Christian, you believe that there's going to be a physical... Oh, sorry, yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, you don't believe in the physical resurrection. If you're a Christian, you do believe in that. If you're in the Buddhist thought mindset, you think, I'm going to be reincarnated as a fly, a banana, like whatever, whatever, and you get to work your way back through the karmic process until you come to the state of enlightenment, whatever that means, and uh, you, you know, you freed yourself from suffering and all these things like that. That's the mindset. Uh, Christians don't teach that. You don't return to earth. You don't, like, you, you're, once you get your body in heaven, and you're in heaven. And uh, you, uh, you spend your time in eternity with God in a physically resurrected state. You don't get a second chance in this earth. That's basically, yeah, Buddhism gets, you may have a second chance in this earth. Christianity, there's no second chances. You, you, you believe in Jesus Christ now, or it's, it's over in terms of the afterlife eternally wise. All right? Um, if you want to read great passages, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 35 to 50, somewhere there. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15 is great on the resurrection. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic passage. Second lesson. Uh, resurrection and eternal life are not simply what Jesus offers, but who he is. Okay? I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he says. I don't just give it or grant it. I am that. That's my essence. So again, uh, that, that's a, a pretty strong, straightforward uh, from the passage. So Jesus is the essence of life now and in the future. The third lesson, uh, while all humanity possesses life in the physical sense, they do not in the spiritual sense. I picked this up from verse 25 and 26 again, when he says, uh, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So again, uh, we can have uh, physical life in this lifetime, but not spiritual life. Or in the end times, we can have, um, or after death, again, we can have no body. We can have no body, but we can still have spiritual life. Or we can have no body and no spiritual life in terms of our connection to God. So again, uh, hopefully that makes sense to lesson number three. And lesson number four, um, and the last one is, it's through belief in Jesus that one gains the assurance of resurrection and eternal life in the presence of God. 
Again, all humanity is guaranteed bodily resurrection. All humanity. And, it, and, all, and, uh, and also a, a state of eternal life. The question always is where? Where will you gain the resurrection? And where will you gain eternal life? I'll leave you with this in John chapter 5, 28 and 29. Just listen to this. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees after they've accused him of all sorts of things. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. He's saying both get a body, some kind of spirit, like some kind of physicality to their soul, one to heaven and one to hell. So both receive some kind of uh, physicality. Uh, um, mixed with the, with the spiritual component. So again, um, it's through belief in Him that one gains assurance of resurrection eternal life in the presence of God and not in hell. But the key then is like Martha, we have to embrace all of His identity. So we know more than Martha. For her, the Christ had a limitation in terms of understanding because she was in the, His first coming mindset. We know why He came. We know He came for, to die for the sins of the world. We know he came as a substitution for, our, for sin for us. We know he came as a suffering Messiah. We know he came to deal with the sins of the whole world, not just Israel. So we know more than Martha in that way. So she embraced everything she knew about Jesus and he said, you're right with me. So the question is, do we believe this? Do we believe this? And if we haven't, this is what it takes to, for us to gain assurance that we'll be resurrected and have eternal life uh, in the presence of God. <coughs> I'll leave you with one story, and we'll shut her down. Yeah, in my class this summer at Regent College, um, my teacher said something very interesting, because normally, uh, we, well, we often in dialogue, we get into debates about, you know, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, or I'm not a good person, I don't know where I'm going, and we often get into debates about how to help someone see if they're good or bad, and all these types of things. And my, my teacher said this, his name was Rick Watts, he, he shut it down, he goes, you know, um, I don't know why people talk about whether you know good works get you in or out. He says it has nothing to do with good works. He uh, he says he says the question because he said uh, pretty people die, great athletes die, rich people die, famous people die, poor people die, you know children die. I mean it's, it's just the, nobody escapes death. So he says this it has nothing to do about good works. The question I have for you, he said, is what's your plan to escape the grave? When you die, what's your plan for getting out of the grave? It's a great question, isn't it? Because if it's about good works, you still have to, like, you're still going to die. So what do you do about your soul? What's, what's going to happen after that? What's your plan, escape plan for after death? And Jesus says, if, uh, you know, if you believe in me, you will live even if you die. So the, you know, the message to us, of course, is that Jesus gives us the plan of escaping the grave because he is the resurrection and life.